Hi guys, welcome back to part two of episode 71 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of those who have gone missing or have been murdered abroad or have died abroad, um, I guess, with this one. So I just want to say, at, when I listened back to the other part one, my it was really quiet when I was speaking and really loud when the clips were playing and I'm really sorry about that. I don't think I was close enough to my microphone. I got a new microphone like a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's pretty snazzy, but... <laughs> It doesn't connect to my computer. It only connects to my phone. So if anyone knows anything about being able, can I buy like a, can I buy a like cable that connects like a lightning to a Mac Air? Because it doesn't connect to my certain type of Mac. That's all. So if anyone knows anything about it, um, otherwise I'll just go to Officeworks and try to figure something out. So um, between part one and part two, I actually received a new patron, which is awesome. Her name is Jacqueline, which was one of my favorite names growing up ever. So thank you for becoming a patron, Jacqueline. Actually, when I was growing up, my, my both my parents, like when I split up, had, you know, multiple partners and it was just kind of like a merry-go-round. They don't listen to this, so I can say whatever I want. But um, my dad actually went out with a woman whose daughters were called Jacqueline and Rebecca, um, Jacqueline was older and then when they split up he met a new woman and her daughter's names were Jacqueline and Rebecca so <laughs> and she actually had my mum's name Jane um, so yeah I just thought of that when the new patron came through so I hope that you enjoyed part one I wish I kind of when I listened back wish I'd just done a really long part one parter because I've it's been really hot and that's why I haven't recorded part two yesterday but it is today but I'm just like sweating through it um, without the fan on and I'll probably take breaks but it just like I was I kept re-watching like or kept watching new stuff between part one and part two and it just was getting me really down this whole thing has got me really depressed um, doing Heath Ledger's life I haven't thought about him for quite a while but when he died which I'll get into it affected me so much and I actually had um, one of my listeners actually a couple reach out to me and say that they remember where they were when he died and what a massive like impact his death was on you know people who loved film and loved him and um, I just thought it was me like in my friend Simone um, the day that he died I, I literally just couldn't stop crying um, all day it took me a long time to get over it like I knew him and I was thinking imagine like viewers feel that way and they don't even know him I literally stood across from him once in my life how do his parents feel and how does Michelle Williams feel and how does Jake Gyllenhaal feel and um, it must just be terrible and I know his parents will never get over it his dad still talks about him because um, obviously it's his son and my eldest cousin died and my auntie has just literally never gotten over it. He died around the same age as Heath Ledger when he was living in the States, actually, when he went over there from Australia. So I don't know if, I don't know if the States, you know, I don't know if it's just too much for people. My cousin wasn't like an actor or anything, but like most people, I think that Heath couldn't handle the limelight. Um, he liked acting, but he didn't want to do anything to do with the rest of it behind the scenes he wanted to be a director ultimately and um I think I was just thinking like Australians really generally like a lot of them have moved back here like they have a taste of Hollywood and they're like nah I'll just live in Australia and travel out to where I need to be and I actually have often thought I think Heath um should have done that which he did he used to come back like like twice a year probably or once a year at Christmas to see his family he did on the last time that he came back but um, I don't think Australians and Hollywood or the acting thing, they're very two different things, um, which I've pro you've probably got the hang of with listening to Heath talk, like how 
you know, different Australia is, um, and especially Perth, where he was from, it's so different. Um, I don't think anyone famous except for Heath has come out of Perth. Correct me if I'm wrong. Most of them have come out of um, Sydney or Melbourne. Um, and he kind of put Perth on the map, but he always, I just kind of think that even though he hated Australian press and they were really shitty to him, I really think um, ultimately he would have probably moved back here if he'd lived but he had a little daughter and when you have a kid with someone who's from somewhere else, um, that's probably really hard to do because literally he was living in New York. To get to Perth from New York, um, you have to go, I think, five hours to LA. Then you have to fly to Sydney or Melbourne, which is about 15 hours across the Pacific. And then you have to fly about five hours from Melbourne or Sydney across to Perth. So it's about it's about 25 hours which is how long it takes for australians to fly to the uk and that's really hard to do when you've got a kid um so anyway i'll stop kind of babbling but it's just things that i've been thinking about um so when we left off we were talking about how jake and heath made brokeback mountain and i was really thinking like i don't think movies like call me call me by your name or things like that would have been able to be made um if it wasn't for Brokeback. they really kind of um were the first ones who really made like a gay movie my friend mark and i were talking about it um we were talking about actually home and away how he was in it yesterday and um mark was saying that he like he can't remember ever having a gay character in home and away neighbors neither can i i think recently they've kind of done it in the last few years but we were kind of saying, what's the likelihood that there's not one gay person on Australian television um, if one in five people are gay? Um, I think they have kind of worked them in now. Back in the day, that wasn't the case. Um, he was talking about like an old show that he's been watching Prisoner and how they kind of alluded to it, but really didn't talk about it in Home and Away, which Heath was in when he was young for a little bit. Shannon, who Isla Fisher played, she's so fucking gorgeous still. She has not aged. She's married to Sasha Baron Cohen. Her character became gay, Mark said, but... They never said she was gay. <laughs> like, they were just too scared of it. So I think that Brokeback really kind of paved the way for people to write, you know, LGBTQI plus or whatever um, scripts because I can't remember any major films before that. Um, and I was kind of looking at comments that people made on <laughs> different clips on YouTube of it and it was actually amazing how many people said you know like call me by your name um, I came out to my parents after I saw this or I came out as bi or I came out as gay or I told my best friend that I was in love with them um, and just as many guys commenting on it saying you know they love the film and they don't give a fuck if um, you know people are scared of it or whatever it was filmed it was aired in cinemas all across the world there was one cinema in utah um which is kind of a mormon quite religious state in the u.s that wouldn't film it um but who cares because the rest of them did um it's like jake gyllenhaal said <laughs> you know fuck everyone who said <laughs> um that this wasn't going to work again heath was robbed um of the oscar when i was looking back on it and re-watching it now the scene that i played at the end of the last episode um, was basically the last time that Jack and Anna see each other. Um, and I have a lot of like thoughts about it. I've thought about it so much. There's so much in it, you know, um, in the movie, um, how anger comes, you know, love comes across as anger a lot in it. Um, but that scene is just like incredible, um, rewatching it and just listening to it's not enough. So you can go and watch it. I will put it on the podcast episode page. I haven't put that up yet. I will this week. I was just thinking their range at 24, which Jake Gyllenhaal was, and 25, like Heath Ledger was, is so beyond even the 
what I would have been able to kind of convey at those ages. Actually, 25 was probably one of the most difficult years of my life. And I think if things hadn't happened to me during that year, um, I, it taught me a lot of lessons, um, 24, 25, 26. So um, there's a lot that's said about um, that scene, you know, the line in it, <laughs> I wish I knew how to quit you, but actually just as equally good a line is um, high altitude fucks, which I think is really good. So when filming started on Brokeback Mountain, nobody would really know that just over three years later, Heath Ledger would have become a father and he would be dead. Um, your star's kind of rising and then it's really not that long after he filmed it. Um, a producer who worked with him on Brokeback said, quote, you know he was special when you met him both as a person and as an actor, unquote. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal only recently, like last year, said that Heath refused to present at the Academy Awards, I think the year or the year after the movie came out, because so many jokes had been made about the movie. So many like um, scary movie took it off. Um, Mad TV took it off. Um, Alan took it off in that clip that I actually played to you. I didn't play you that part, but she's literally just sitting there muttering. It really was like, why do you have to ask how he speaks like that? Even at 25, I had the emotional understanding to know why his clenched um, jaw speaking like that. It's hard for him to communicate. Um, so Jake Gyllenhaal only recently said that Jake really kind of thought it was all in good fun, but Heath was very much like, no, I fucking had it with these jokes and stuff. I'm, I'm not presenting anything. Fuck them. This is really serious. It's a serious thing, um, which is true. Um, but it would be the woman cast as his wife, Alma, who's kind of a, as someone put it in the comments of a scene, a baby making machine and Ennis's cover, which I don't think really is all it is. Um, I think he really does love her, just like I think that Jake Gyllenhaal's character does. Um, Jake is like the only guy that he's with in the whole movie. And that's why he gets angry in that clip I played you, because he asks if he's gone to Mexico to like meet other men and he gets angry because that's how he shows, you know, his feelings. He's upset that Jake would do that to him because both of them are fine with, I'm saying Jake, it's Jack, his character, but both of them are fine with them each being with other women. But when it comes to men, kind of that's off. Now, Michelle Williams was cast as the role of Elma after they auditioned up to 30 actresses for the role. Um, Michelle was back on Dawson's Creek. I never missed an episode. And me and my friend used to call her Jen the Skank, um, her character. Michelle was only 24 when she was cast as Elma. Um, and she'd really kind of done Halloween H2O, I think, and Dawson's Creek. But actually now she's really, really famous for being an independent film. So she always gets nominated for Oscars for um, Manchester by the Sea and Blue Valentine are two of them. She's also, I consider, one of the most stylish people in Hollywood. She's amazing and she's really quiet. She keeps her opinion to herself. Um, she just kind of gets out there, acts. She's, she's amazing. Um, now, Heath was great with horses and Jake has said on a few episodes that, um, a few interviews that, he really had to learn to be around animals because he really hadn't been around animals much in his life growing up in a Hollywood family. Um, but he was really amazed that Heath was able to just get on a horse. He was able to talk to animals and calm them. He'd been around them and Jake kind of felt really like, oh, I suck about this. I mean, Heath had always been around animals growing up. I think Australians are some of the biggest animal lovers in the world, biggest animal owners as well. Um, and in a couple of early interviews, he's actually got a dog that I don't know what happened to it when he first moved over to Hollywood with Lisa Zane. He's got a dog called Bint, which I really loved because 
that's like a insult to an old person in the UK. Shout out to you guys over there. I never thought knew what that meant until I moved there. Um, and then later on when Naomi Watts lived with him, he had a dog called um, Ned, which I love after Ned Kelly. She had a dog and she moved in. And then when she moved out, she took her dog. I don't know what happened to either of these, but it's safe to say that, you know, Heath loved animals. Now, very quickly, when filming commenced in Calgary, Canada in 2004, the summer of 2004 on Brokeback, <clears throat> the cast and crew of the film very quickly realized that um, Heath and Michelle were really into each other. There's a scene in the movie where they're kind of, it's kind of like a scene between scenes. It's just kind of a filler where they're going down um, a slope on a toboggan. And um, actually in the filming of that, Michelle hurt her leg and she ended up being on crutches. Um, and when they were taking her to the hospital, Heath was like kind of stroking her hair and and asking people if he could go with her. And the crew and cast were very much like, oh, okay, you two are together now. And actually you can see lots of pictures of them. Like they were living together within like a month or so. I was kind of thinking Heath had never really been on his own. As far as you go back, there's actually a couple of Australian girls, actresses um, like Christina Couchy, who he went out with. He was never really on his own. And I don't know if that was an issue for him um, or whatever. It is something that I think men cope with more than women, um, the inability to be on their own. Um, but the, after the movie came out and it was such a big hit, they went on Oprah. Later on, I just want to say, they went on Oprah. She knew him. She had met him. They were on a whole episode on Oprah back in the day. And then when Oprah had a show the day that Heath died, Daniel Day-Lewis actually had said this beautiful thing about Heath and he actually not dedicated his award that season to Heath. Um, and he spoke about him quite a lot. He said he was just thought he was an amazing actor, which is a huge thing from Daniel Day-Lewis because there's no greater actor than Daniel Day-Lewis, in my opinion. Um, no one even comes close. And he was really kind of ended up being this Hollywood talking kind of speaking for Heath. Um, he was basically like, leave his fucking family alone. Um, but on the episode of Oprah, she was literally filming it the day he died. Ellen opened hers to her credit, even though she, most people say she's evil. She opened her episode with saying Heath Ledger has died. He was a friend, which he actually was to Ellen. Um, and Oprah never said anything. And actually they were interviewing Daniel Day-Lewis for whatever movie he was making at the time, maybe... I don't know, Lincoln or something. And he actually stopped her and said, can I please say something? Um, Heath Ledger died today and I feel really unsettled about it. And I just want to say how fantastic he was. And the last, you know, five minutes in Brokeback when he's in the trailer and the shirt is hung up in his wardrobe and um, the picture of Brokeback is there and he says, um, what does he say? Um, I swear, Jack Twist, I swear, or something. Um, he was just saying he was one of my favorite actors and I just want to say something. And you can go and watch that online and Oprah goes, oh yeah, like she just, people like that, they're so fucking high up with so many minions under them. Then what the fuck is he to anyone? Like, this is why I'm sick of Hollywood. This is why I understand why Heath was the way he was, especially being an Australian helps understand. Um, but I'm going to play you a clip anyway from when Anne Hathaway, Michelle Williams, Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal were on Oprah. They were very young. Um, and just the cast Jake and Anne talking about how they knew Heath and Michelle um, were together. I remember being at rehearsal and the two of them sort of like googly eye looking at each other and then I left for two weeks and came back and they were in love. <laughs> and uh, we were all living in trailers while we were shooting the movie and uh, there were four, a Ang Lee would be... Was, Wait, was it really shot in Wyoming? It was shot in Calgary in Alberta. Okay, in, okay. Yeah in Canada. So we, we were there and there were uh, four trailers and then there quickly became three trailers. <laughs> and uh... 
And, uh, and I would wake up in the morning and Aang Lee would be doing Tai Chi outside of his trailer. And then I would look over and Heath and Michelle would be making coffee in their trailer. And we'd, I'd go over and they'd still be googly eyed. And, and then we'd go So it's like it would happen immediately. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Pretty I mean, much. It, it, it took its time and it grew, you know. No, and just rolled her eyes. I'm what? sorry, there were sparks immediately. There totally were. I mean, I just remember when, the first day that I was there, we were all sitting having lunch together, and um, Michelle had hurt her knee, and Heath was playing with her crutches, and everyone, well, he would look up, and she would look, and they would be like, yeah. I'm sorry, it was just adorable. It's adorable, yeah. I'm embarrassing them, I'll shut up. Okay. <laughs> so what's, what's a daddy like 12 weeks later? Um, oh God, I'm I'm so proud. I, I I'm just I fall deeper and deeper in love with both my girls, and she's honestly the most. So that's actually Jake Gyllenhaal and Anne Hathaway um, talking about them, obviously, and then a little bit at the end about Heath and Michelle's daughter, because literally the movie hadn't even come out when they had a baby. Um, now Michelle hasn't talked <clears throat> much about. Heath's passing um, but in 2012 she talked about kind of meeting him this was four years after his death she said quote our initial meeting the circumstances of how we first met were cosmic or something yeah a lot of things happened at once it's a bit like we have a lot of things to do because we don't have a lot of time or something unquote um, in the same interview she's asked if really sadly Heath's, Heath's gone at this point she asks if when they broke up, she thought they would get back together. Um, and she said back that the concept of them getting back together was, quote, her favorite thing to imagine and one of her favorite places to visit, unquote. So um, they had tons of chemistry in the movie. She gets to say the line, Jack Nasty, which is really cool. Um, now, in that quote, she said that she felt like they didn't have a lot of time or something. And it's really weird because in the I Am Heath Ledger documentary, one of his friends, I can't remember who, says something like, Heath hardly slept. He would rock up to people's houses at five o'clock in the morning, like ready to go. Um, that's something like I'm like. And he would often say to his friends that he felt like he had to cram in a lot of stuff very quickly because he didn't have much time left and he just had a weird feeling. Now, Montana-born Michelle, we have the same birthday, that's the only thing we have in common, um, was the first high-profile relationship that Heath had that was kind of age appropriate where the woman wasn't ages like 10 years older than him um, and the two's relationship went really fast um, and ultimately it was this speed at which they got together and had a baby and all this stuff that many kind of point to as being what led them to ultimately break up because they didn't really know each other that well. Um, Heath spoke about his habit of meeting girlfriends on set. He said quote if I cancel out the people I'm working with, I'm never going to meet anyone because it's hard meeting people. Inevitably, the people I'm surrounded by are the people I'm working with most of the time. That's just the life we live, so I'm not going to deny myself that opportunity. But it is a cliche, but it's not as common as you would think. And it was out of my hands too. It was too good to walk away from, unquote. Now, despite breaking up with Naomi Watts barely a year before because she wanted to have kids and he didn't, um, Heath's sentiments on that changed very quickly um, once meeting Michelle. After filming, <clears throat> or maybe it was a break in filming, I'm not sure, Heath took Michelle back to Perth, another girlfriend meeting his parents. <laughs> Sounds like my parents. And um, the two conceived their daughter in Byron Bay, which is a very hippie kind of hot spot at, on the north coast of New South Wales, um, about... I don't know, a few hours, a couple of hours from Brisbane and, I don't know, a fair drive from Sydney up north. Um, 
I'm going to read you a really wanky quote from Heath, but I can't leave it out. Um, Heath said, quote, very on in our relationship, we talked about having babies together. I always thought I would be a young father. We just fell very deeply into each other's arms. Our bodies definitely made those decisions for us. I mean, the second you acknowledge having a child as a possibility, the body just inevitably hits a switch and it happens, unquote. Which isn't totally true, but anyway. At the Brokeback premiere in Sydney, I remember this on the news and it's just so shit. Australian journalists who Heath had been kind of nasty to because they were shitty to him, they shot at Heath and Michelle with water guns, which I think is really shitty because it's nothing to do with Michelle and they got it on her dress and in her hair. It's fucked. And after that, Heath was pretty much done with Australia. I think he was like, the people who raised me, you know, aren't supporting me, which is kind of comes down to tall poppy syndrome, as I talked about in part one. So he basically, after that, sold his apartment that he had in Sydney, which was this beautiful, um, you know, open plan place right on the beach. Um, and he moved pretty much for good. The night that they shot at him and Michelle with water guns at the Brokeback Sydney premiere, he called his dad, Kim, in tears. Um, and he said, I'm done pretty much with Australia. Um, Now, Heath and Michelle became engaged in August 2005. It was pretty much a year after they met. And the pair put up ultrasound pictures of Matilda on their fridge and got ready to be young parents. Because bear in mind, he was like 26 at this time, 25, 26, and Michelle was like 25. Heath said about the ultrasounds, quote, it's just two little nostril holes and then the shape of the lips. It's Michelle's mouth. It's so bizarre. These little porcelain lips that are exactly the same shape as Michelle's. It's just adorable, unquote. He said that basically while she was pregnant, she was eating for two. um, And he said that he was cooking a lot at home um, when they moved to Brooklyn. He said, quote, Italian is my forte. I'm into handmaking pasta now, handmaking gnocchi and fettuccine. There's flour everywhere in my kitchen. I like making a mess, unquote. Now, despite being in being an Oscar-nominated actor for Brokeback in demand in Hollywood, Heath regularly took opportunities to return to Australia to be in Australian film. Australian film, I've always kind of bagged it, but it's actually very unique and, you know, different and you can tell it even without (laughs) sound that it's an Australian film. We generally don't have big budgets on Australian films, but movies like Um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert and Muriel's Wedding were really big overseas. The Castle, um, Chopper, which when I moved to England, I couldn't believe how many friends I met that had Chopper in their DVD collection because that was filmed in Melbourne and it's low budget. Eric Banner doesn't even look like himself. And I was just like, oh, my God. And they're like, yeah, Chopper was huge here. Now, Heath returned, I think, while Michelle was pregnant with Matilda to film the movie Candy in Australia, which is arguably um, in my top three, probably my second favourite Heath role behind um, Brokeback. This movie stars Abby Cornish, and, who's an Australian actress, and Jeffrey Rush, who went on to make it big overseas in Hollywood. Um, and it basically tells the story of the relationship of two heroin addicts. Um, it's a really tragic movie. The guy who directed it, it was his first time directing a movie. So I find it crazy that he signed on. Um, I think he just wanted to maintain a foothold in Australian cinema um, and remind people that he was Australian. Um, The movie is incredibly sad. Um, Him and Abby Cornish's character, Candy, um, he plays Dan. They have, she gets pregnant and they're heroin addicts and she has a stillborn baby. And it's just a really terrible scene that he basically had to call Michelle, like filming it because she was pregnant. It was freaking him out so much filming this scene with this prosthetic baby. 
On Rotten Tomatoes, the film holds an approval rating of 47%, which I think is really mean because it's actually amazing. Um, and most people have seen it, even Mark, who generally hates Australian cinema. Um, it's basically during his time in Sydney filming Candy, Keith continued to have spats with photographers. He didn't own a place in Sydney anymore. I don't think Candy took that long to film, probably a month or something. Um, and there was basically reports that he spat on photographers who were camping outside his home waiting to get a picture. They said it was him and his family members and he categorically denied that this was true. Um, I honestly don't know. At this point, he was really fucking over it, so it could be true. But Brokeback Mountain opened in October 2005 and their daughter was born, daughter Matilda was born just days before the US premiere. So they'd met, moved in and had a baby before the movie even came out. Michelle gave birth to their only child together, Matilda, at the end of October 2005. Matilda's godparents are Busy Phillips, who's an actress, and also Michelle's longtime friend, I think, from way back on Dawson's Creek. And Jake Gyllenhaal is the godfather, which I found really interesting. They must have had a real good friendship because Heath had a lot of, you know, the friends that I've talked about, like Trev back in Australia, um, that he could have assigned to be godfather. Now, the parent pair came up with the name Matilda. Um, Michelle really... It wasn't because it's an Aussie name, which it really is. We have a, there's a song by Banjo Patterson called Walsing Matilda, which is a really famous Australian song. Um, most people from overseas would not, <laughs> would not understand the words. It starts with, um, oh, sorry, once a jolly jumbuck camped by the billabong under the shade of the coolabar tree. And he sang as he watched and waited till his billy boiled. You'll come a waltzing Matilda with me. That's from the top of my head. I'm not reading that. <laughs> um, I used to know it all off by heart. How many of those words don't you know? Um, billy is a billy tea, like making it in a billy, which is kind of like a teapot. My grandfather used to do that in his backyard for us. Um, and you kind of swing it around over your head. A billabong is kind of like a swamp. A jumbuck is a guy who works with sheep. Um, yeah, it goes on. But Michelle said, quote, I came up with it on the subway one day. It just fell from the sky and into my head, and I love, love the Roald Dahl book, Matilda. I don't didn't think about it at the time, but then afterwards I was like, yeah, that's the girl I want. Read lots of books and make things move with her eyes. That'll be my daughter for sure, unquote. Now, Heath said, much like many new fathers, that when he watched Michelle give birth, he really never felt so useless. <laughs> he said, quote, For man, birth is the realisation that you're just a hopeless, useless specimen of life and witnessing this innate primal strength within women can be such an intimidating experience. When you come out of the birthing experience, you actually have a better understanding of how and why women, sorry, men have overcompensated in society by creating battles and wars and steroids and why they go to the gym. It's because we want to be strong and tough and we're not and it's this endless quest to find strength find this strength that can equal women's experiencing those nine months with michelle was incredibly humbling and i just relinquish all kinds of respect and power to her she's incredible unquote um and yeah it didn't take long for them to realize that babies are actually really hard work now they moved to brooklyn which I've talked about previously, they moved to a quiet area of Brooklyn, not like a kind of hipster Williamsburg kind of area. Um, and here the two could be left alone. Paparazzi don't really care about going down to Brooklyn to see if there's any celebrities, which is funny because all of them moved over there. They were in a very chilled out neighborhood. They bought a really beautiful house and they set about being parents. Heath liked the easygoing nature of Brooklyn, which was played on a previous interview on part one. And he loved being a dad. He also liked having a home for the first time in years because he'd been living out of 
suitcases, essentially. He told the Boston Globe around this time, quote, I'm Mr. Mum. I get Michelle Granola and cook her an egg. I clean the dishes and then I'm cooking lunch. I love my new job, unquote. Now on I Am Heath Ledger, Ben Harper, one of his close friends, talked about how at some point he was at Heath's and there was a grand piano. And Ben commented on how nice it was. Then the next day, the grand piano turns up with movers and it was Heath giving Ben this grand piano. And then about a week later, Heath called him and he said, all right, you got the piano. Now you just got to do one thing. You got to write a lullaby for us to sing to Matilda. And Ben Harper did do that. um, And he performs it on I Am Heath Ledger. Heath said at the time, quote, it's going great. It's exhausting, but it's a pleasure waking up to your daughter. My life right now is, I wouldn't say reduced to food, but my duties in life are that I wake up, cook breakfast, clean the dishes, prepare lunch, clean those dishes, go to the market, get fresh produce, cook dinner, clean those dishes, and then sleep if I can. I love it. I actually adore it, unquote. Now, um, yeah, he... It was the first time that he'd really had a home since like that place in LA. But even when he had that place in LA, he really wasn't there um, that much. He said, quote, the level of synchronicity that's in my life now with me and Michelle and now Matilda has meant it's become everything to me. The most important thing that I do. My child smiles, smiles up at me in the morning and that's it. I feel connected to life. This is what it's all about. There's something very cosmic about the experience of parenthood. Suddenly you get the right perspective and priorities. It's marvellous and the most remarkable experience I've ever had, unquote. I'm going to play you a clip from actually a podcast and I don't know whose it is and I'd like to know. It's literally just on YouTube and it's Heath Ledger podcast for Candy. He was talking about the movie Candy. The guy interviewing him is really good for a change and that's all it says. Um, it doesn't say who interviewed him or anything. It's uploaded by a guy called Jasper Whitlock, so it could be him. Um, but I'm going to play you a bit about him just talking about his daughter, Matilda. We're talking about you being a dad. How is becoming a father? And I guess she just had her first birthday just a few, like a week ago. It's amazing. She's just the most brilliant little person and so full of life and so smart and so happy. uh, She's just a darling. I just love her so much. And it's it's wonderful. Has has becoming a father actually changed your approach to work in any way at all? Um... Well, I, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it must, it must, because, I mean, it changes the person you are, and, uh-huh. and uh, change as a person simultaneously kind of just changes your performance, too, like, you just, any growth in your, in your personal life is, you can't help it, like, it, 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 it um, you know, it comes to fruition through your, through through your work. It just does. It it, it, it reflects, and um, so I, I, I guess it does. Uh, I, I'm not sure. It, it, I'd say it influences my understanding of people and performance more than it would influence like my choices. Yeah. Sounded really either really tired or stoned in that. I I don't really know. Um, yeah, he kind of trailed off at parts where it was like he was not even on it anymore. But then sometimes he was really visceral. I don't I don't really know. But I just want to say Michelle, um, sorry, Matilda was such a... Oh, fuck. I dropped my mic. Um, she was such a beautiful little baby and she's 15 now. And she looked like Heath when she was younger. It was unbelievable. But now if you look up pictures of her, she looks exactly like um, Michelle Williams. It's hard to believe she's 15 turning 16 in a couple of years she'll have access like because they left the oscar for her and um, most of his money actually which i'll get into later so 
Oh, and I also just want to say there's heaps of beautiful pictures of him and Matilda um, in Brooklyn with him on her on his shoulders when she's like one or there's a really beautiful one that I'll put on the Patreon um, where she, he's kind of drinking a coffee and she's got her arms wrapped around his leg and I really doubt she'll have any memories of him because she was only <clears throat> she was only like two when he died. So both Heath and Michelle were nominated for Oscars for Brokeback Mountain um, when award season in 2006 came around. Um, Michelle is actually an incredible actress in her own right and she has been nominated for four Oscars but not won any I don't think in her life. Now during the award season of 2006 there was so much pressure on Heath to do a lot of promo and stuff like that for Brokeback and to talk to a lot of people um, and he was really really anxious the whole time and he was fearful that he, he told someone that he thought it would be his last good film and he was like, what if I just fade off into obscurity over this? Like, what if I don't do any more films after this? Which he would never come to know that he would do a film that people would probably remember him for um, in 2007, he would film it. So um, basically there's a scene at the 2005-2006 Screen Actors Guild Award where he and Jake Gyllenhaal are presenting um, a nod and he kind of giggles in it now he got a lot of like crap about this to the point where he had to like issue a statement saying that he was just nervous he wasn't he wasn't laughing I've watched it it is literally because they're reading off a monitor he was only told literally 30 seconds before he was doing it that he had to do it and also he um the way that it is worded is so dumb that him and Jake Gyllenhaal are both laughing because they just use these antiquated words that they're both laughing at to describe the movie. That's that's literally all. But he said, quote, I'm so sorry and I apologise for my nervousness. I would be absolutely horrified if my stage fright was misinterpreted as a lack of respect for the film, the topic and the amazing filmmakers, unquote. Now, <clears throat> according to Us Weekly, which is probably not a good source, um, but it gets quoted quite a lot, according to sources around this time, which could be true, may not be, Michelle Williams tried to get Heath Ledger to go to Promises Rehab Centre in Malibu at this time. This has never been confirmed. Um, yeah, but it was also in this awards season that a grainy video surfaced of Heath Ledger at an after party after an event. He was drinking beer um, and he was talking to someone and he was basically saying that back in the day he used to smoke five joints a day for 20 years, which is almost impossible to believe it can't be 20 years because at this time he was only 27. I don't think he was smoking joints at seven. In the video, someone beside him is snorting what looks like cocaine and pretty much Heath Ledger is saying to the person next to him that Michelle Williams is upstairs in their room and she'll be really, really like pissed off at him for being at the party. Now, the video by the press was called Shocking and Harrowing, which I don't think it is because he's drinking beer and talking about stuff. He's not actually doing drugs. Um, it was acquired, surprise, surprise, by Australian media, Channel 9. <clears throat> and basically, it then sold to um, their TV show in America, The Insider. But some high-profile Hollywood actors came out to basically threaten to boycott Insider, and so it was never released. These were Natalie Portman, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Josh Brolin, and I don't know why they ended up rallying for Heath, but I think it was just because he was vulnerable. He had a new baby, like, fucking leave him alone. They're just trying to bring him down when he's at, like, the peak of his career. So... He basically um, also in the video shows someone a tattoo on his arm of an M, <clears throat> which stands for Matilda. He also had the initials, I think, of his mum and his sisters. Um, he says in a quote, this is to remind me never to smoke weed again, unquote, which he's not. And most people who have seen it say that he's self-deprecating in it. So it's just stupid that 
it was ever considered an issue. <clears throat> but I think it became an issue for Michelle Williams because she actually didn't know how much he smoked weed. And I think at some point he did do coke. Um, so, yeah, that would come into play in a little bit. So despite this, they went on with their life for a while um, and they were pretty content. Heath Ledger told New York magazine, quote, it's the closest we've ever come to feeling like we can lead a normal life. We've localized ourselves. I don't think there's another place on earth I'd rather be right now. We're very happy, unquote. At some point in this, he went back to do the AFI awards in Australia because in Australia we have awards where you get nominated overseas movies get nominated weirdly um and he's kind of playful in this magda zabanski who played um um, fuck sharon in kath and kim kind of pashes it like has a kiss with him big snog on the um red carpet then later on she presents an award where she's got like um like a pash rash as we would call it um but she calls it heath rash instead of heat rash um and he's he's kind of like being silly and playing along with it now Heath and Michelle Williams were spotted getting a marriage license in New York in November 2006. And in 2007, there was rumours that they had secretly got married, but they actually never really tied the knot. Heath said that it just wasn't necessary. Quote, I really don't feel like I need a piece of paper to validate the love I have for her. She's my soulmate, unquote. Now, also in late 2006, Michelle and Heath, Heath had done Brokeback, like Candy, now this. He re- really never gave himself much of a break, um, which I think is really his problem. Um, he needs to. He needed to look after himself. He's a grown man. But in late 2006, Michelle and Heath both starred in this kind of artsy-fartsy movie, which I thought sucked, called I'm Not There, which is about Bob Dylan. He was doing press for this in the last interviews that he did before he died. Um, he's really kind of out of it. I don't really even want to play them. They're on YouTube um, because that was – you generally film something the year before. He was basically only promoting that um, in the November before the January that he died. Now, during this time, which is talked about on um, I'm, I'm Heath Ledger, Heath actually started a music video production company with his longtime friend Matt Amato. And it's never ever talked about, but they just showed how many they actually produced. Um, I definitely implore you to go and watch like I Am Heath Ledger. He and Matt loved making music videos. I think at some point he really just wanted to do that full time. He made one for one of his friends who was like a rapper. I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's like N apostrophe fa, nifa, enfa, um, which is a really good music video. He also produced a music video for this girl. So his sister, Ashley, had a friend who was like 18 who was a singer and she she emailed Heath from Australia to New York and said how good's this chick you should like make a music video or help her get ahead her name's Grace something and literally within like a week he had flown her out and they were like filming these amazing like artsy music videos it was really cool now ultimately Matt Amato would find out Heath had died when he was on the set of making a movie um, a music video for Bon Iver and they ultimately made a song because they basically had to console him um they ended up writing a song called perth about heath now heath often talked about how he was obsessed with the british singer nick drake who was a singer and songwriter who had died when he was 25 or 26 from an antidepressant overdose and i think at some point he wanted to make a movie about him um a lot of people i know are really obsessed with this guy he's kind of like a guy you know like in a kurt cobain kind of james dean way where people only even now continue to discover his work now Heath suffered very severe panic attacks while he was filming I'm not there um, and he slept very little during this time he always was relying on Michelle Williams to calm him down 
Um, <clears throat> the director, Todd Haynes, who made I'm Not There, said, quote, the night before we were going to shoot a scene, he started having a real panic about it. He had to call Michelle in New York, who talked him through relaxation me methods to try to get him asleep. He said he had just curled up in a corner holding one of M Matilda's stuffed animals. He slept about an hour and came on set, unquote. Heath had serious issues sleeping, like from the time he was a kid. I too have. Um, in the last week, I have been up for 38 hours at a time. Um, so honestly, doing this, like I understand, I get all of it. <clears throat> My brain never goes to sleep, ever. Um, <clears throat> I'm not crying, I'm fucking coughing. Um, it was like, I think about things I've done, things I haven't done, things I've done wrong, people that I hate, people that I love, mistakes that I've made, I've made. So it's really too hard to explain mine or anything like that, but I'm not a proponent of sleeping pills. Um, I've never taken sleeping pills. I took Valium a couple of times, that's it. If I can't sleep, I can't sleep. I don't believe in turning to these things because they're never going to give you a natural <clears throat> rhythm um, at all. But things went down very quickly for Michelle and Heath around this time. Um, there was a lot of reports of him doing drugs and partying, which was actually one of the things about Naomi Watts, why he split up with her as well. So I think there is some truth to the rumor. Um, <clears throat> Michelle and Heath, when they stayed in LA, they stayed at the Chateau Marmont, a famous hotel with their daughter. And according to sources, Michelle would be upstairs with Matilda and Heath would sit downstairs in the garden or the lobby for hours, not wanting to be around Michelle. Michelle had this time decided that she was done for now until he was done with drugs probably. Um, they had a baby and she had to look at things differently and look at things that she had ignored early on when she met him. They were kind of enclosed in this set when they met and she didn't really know him um, for very long when you think about it in order to have a baby with him. <clears throat> now, according to Terry Gilliam, an amazing director who actually was directing the last movie, Dr. Parnassus, that Heath was involved with when he died, he said that their relationship was like Ennis and Elmer in Brokeback by this point. Heath was hanging out with his friends and Michelle Williams felt really isolated with just a baby and very resentful of Heath when he'd, you know, fuck off, which is fair enough. Um, in the documentary I Am Heath Ledger, his friends basically talk about how, yeah, he was and they sided with Michelle like she was right for doing what she did. She had to look out for her daughter at this point and apparently she saw the grainy video or heard about it and she was just kind of done with it. She didn't even know that he had been doing drugs. I honestly believe that he'd been doing them like behind her back for quite a long time. Now, one of the other things was Michelle was fine with doing promotion for a movie like I Am, I'm Not There or Brokeback Mountain. Heath was not. Um, and she was kind of like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Um, Terry Gilliam told Vanity Fair, quote, that was the moment when it changed, when he realised, uh-oh, we perceived the world differently, unquote which I think is the pretty much the every breakup, you ultimately realise that you perceive the world differently. Now, they split in the summer of 2007, just three years after they even met on set. And this was actually Heath's last summer. They split up around the September and he died in the January. Heath moved to an apartment in Manhattan and Michelle stayed for a time in their home that they'd bought together in Brooklyn. I get the feeling that Heath didn't want this. He referred to Michelle as his soulmate and he loved his daughter. I think that he had to get help that he wasn't willing to get. I don't think he was a full-blown drug addict, but I think he was relying on prescription meds and things like that. He needed to sort his life out. Um, and in her recent book, Busy Phillips, Matilda's godmother said that she really thought that they'd get back together. They just had to be apart for a while to sort their lives out. 
they split while Heath was filming the movie that I think most people, not me really, but I do love it. Most people think of when they think of Heath Ledger that introduced him to a whole new audience, The Dark Knight, which was the second installment of Christopher Nolan's series on Batman, which I am a massive nerd for. Um, He would ultimately win his first Oscar for this and he would not see um, it ever be released or be finalised. Now, The Dark Knight was the second instalment of Chris Nolan's Batman trilogy and he scored the coveted role of the Joker. Now, (laughs) at the time, which I remember, when they announced that Heath Ledger had been cast as the Joker, people were like amazed and astounded. They actually threatened to burn down um, Chris Nolan's house because he'd cast him. Um, Serious like death threats, they were like Heath Ledger... How the fuck could you cast that homo um, from Brokeback as the Joker? I actually have found a few of the reviews um, that people took to online to talk about how the fuck Heath Ledger could be cast as the Joker after Jack Nicholson. The first one is Heath Ledger is an embarrassment to all Australians, which is actually not true because I think most Australians would consider him one of our greatest exports. The guy couldn't act his way out of a paper bag. What the fuck are they thinking? Heath Ledger as the Joker? That's got to be one of the worst choices ever, especially over Paul Bettany. Talk about really bad casting. No, the Joker is a character that needs an actor with gravity, not some little twerp who got lucky. I won't be able to watch it. I'll keep expecting him to have sex with Batman. Yuck. And my favourite one, which I found, was, oh great, it's going to be Joke Back Mountain. (laughs) which I actually laughed at. I mean, seriously, but I actually, to my, I will say, I actually thought not the same thing, but I thought, what? I mean, he's, I just couldn't imagine him. And all of these people would go on to eat their words. And if you look at scenes from the movie and look in the comments, so many people say that they wrote abuse online and own up to it and say, I have never been more wrong in my life. This would end up being the role of Heath's lifetime and a movie that he would turn out a performance of that I don't think many people can ever you know, I could ever surpass. Now, I've seen it probably a hundred times and each time I remember why Heath is so amazing. I actually rewatched it a couple of days ago and having done this episode and all that, I was just like, it's amazing. Um, Every part that he's in is amazing. The crash scene um, where Batman's coming towards him on the bat pod and he says hit me is unbelievable um everything about it is unbelievable and you've got to put that down to kind of Heath and Christopher Nolan even the trailer of this movie is fucking amazing I want you to pause and go to YouTube look up Dark Knight original trailer the trailer deserved to win awards as people wrote in the comments the original trailer it is truly unbelievable but it does have parts in the trailer that actually were not in the movie like they're different When he says hit me, it's a different version of him saying it. There's quite a lot that's different. When it was ultimately released after Heath had died, it really put to to bed any doubts that people had. But unfortunately, all Heath would have known was the hate online about him being cast. He never would have known that people were actually amazed by it. Um, I think probably when he was filming it, he thought when this comes out, this will change people's minds. Um, Actually, yeah, so... People actually clapped in my cinema when the trailer, because I used to go to the movies a lot, they played the trailer a few months before it came out. People actually stood up clapping, which actually was a common thing according to the comments. Um, People were just like blown away. The final part where it comes up the dark night and he turns around kind of looking behind him is like, it's a whole performance in that. 
in the scene where Michael, where Heath Ledger crashes the party with his friends and he's looking for Harvey Dent and he's going around going, do you know Harvey Dent? Do you know Harvey Dent? Um, Michael Caine actually hadn't seen him in full makeup and he's standing in the background of that. He said when he burst through the doors, he said before he died and people started talking about an Oscar because a lot of people think he won the Oscar because he died. I actually am not sure. But Michael Caine said that when they cut that, he said to people, he's going to win an Oscar for this scene. It's unbelievable. There's a lot of like interesting things about the movie. Um, the Joker licks his lips a lot, which is actually not part of the character. Heath Ledger was doing it because the prosthetics that were making him look like he was cut under his makeup kind of feathered up when he talked and kind of removed themselves from his face. So by licking them, it kept them down so he didn't have to constantly cut. Um, so I'm going to play you a bit of Heath talking about playing the Joker. Um, this would have been, you know, a few months before he died, a, a movie that he would ultimately never get to see himself on the screen in. Go on a record as saying you weren't a huge fan of comic books. What attracted you to Dark Knight? Um, yeah, and the only reason I wasn't, I grew up in a household of girls, so there were very few Batman comic books lying around. They were mainly like Archie um so that's probably the only reason why i never grew up reading batman um uh but you know i i I really love batman begins and um the joker the character of the joker was just uh too good to turn down i you know i've said this before but if if you know if tim burton was doing the dark knight and asked me to play the joker I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have taken it because, it, it, you know, to to, to try and even uh, to, to touch what Jack Nicholson did in Tim Burton's world would be a crime. And so, when Chris came to me, and I, and I knew how Chris was, you know, he'd already set up the world for me. I'd seen how what world it was that I would be playing in. So I knew it was open for a fresh interpretation, and I, I also instantly kind of had something up my sleeve, um, uh, which happened to be exactly what Chris was kind of looking for. We sat down and kind of uh, shared ideas, and, and, and they were the same, and so we, uh, we just went with it. Can you say how that something might differ from Jack Nicholson's portrayal? How it will? Yeah, you know, just have to check for that to find out the answer to that question. So, is, what's what's more complex characters who play Bob Dylan, or let's say, the, uh, for example, the Joker? The Joker. Not <laughs> <laughs> um, the Joker, for sure. I, I mean, I um, was kind of relieved of the, of the duty of physically portraying Bob Dylan. You know, I did. I didn't really have to. Um, so, yeah. So, so I, I, I'd say, I, I guess the Joker, although the Joker was actually, that was the most fun I've ever had, probably ever will have playing a character. It was, um, and, I, and I'm not sure whether it was, it was hard stamina-wise, um, because it, it was just high levels of energy were needed, required every day. Um, but it was incredibly enjoyable, yeah. And the last question, in regards to the Joker, what is it that you want to bring to that character uh, I guess you're done doing um, what is it that you want to bring this character that we haven't seen before you're just going to have to wait and see <laughs> and it's done too so, um, are you done? yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah do you have an idea how to did you really have the idea to how to play him or did no one say 
No, no. Um, it, it was one of those moments where I was asked if I would be interested in playing the Joker, and I, I, I knew five seconds later exactly how to play it. So that interview was actually for, those two were for I'm Not There, but he was actually asked the most about the Joker. At that time, the trailer hadn't even been released, so when he's saying just watch it for yourself um, to see how it's different, he means it. Um, <clears throat> and I was going to say, in that interview, he's like, his hands are all over the fucking place. He doesn't seem like he wants to be there. Um, some of the interviewers, there was a lot of controversy. They were super, like, mean to him. And later on when he died, they were like, oh, he was on drugs in that. I think he was probably just tired. He was also, that was two months or six weeks to eight weeks before he died. So I think they were, he was probably like, he just finished filming Dark Knight um, and then he was going on. He'd already started filming Dr. Parnassus. He didn't really give himself a break much. But just to compare his voice to the Joker, it's hard to believe that <laughs> the same person did it, like a deep kind of Australian broad Australian accent um, and then this one so I just thought I'd play a clip from it I had to find the one that would kind of be the one with the most dialogue and not just him being slammed around a room you want to know how I got these scars my father was a drinker and a fiend and one night he goes off crazier than usual. Mommy gets the kitchen knife to defend herself. He doesn't like that. Not one bit. So, me watching, he takes the knife to her, laughing while he does it. He turns to me and he says, why so serious? He comes at me with the knife. Why so serious? Sticks the blade in my mouth. Let's put a smile on that face. And... Why so serious? So um, that scene, I think, is one of the first. And when I saw it at the movies, I saw it the day after it came out because you had to actually book. Um, I don't know. I think that was the same across the world, but... The first release was like midnight the night it came out and I think we managed to get in the day after. The cinema was packed and the first time that the Joker appears um, in the movie, I think in that scene is one of the first. Um, everyone started clapping because people had been so shit about Heath Ledger and they just knew it was going to be like amazing. I also just want to put to bed all the crap about the Joker destroyed him. It's all just bullshit and it... It clearly comes from people who haven't lived life. I don't know how to say this because it really angers me. He loved that role. He said it was the most fun he'd ever had. Um, he was in character when he had his makeup on, but he was normal and making people laugh on the set when he didn't. Um, people who say that haven't lived, you know, hadn't ha haven't had heartbreaks. He'd broken up with the woman he called his soulmate. She'd kicked him out. They had a little baby that he hardly ever saw. He was on the other side of the world to his parents and his sister he had like no one you know real friends there um i'm pretty sure that's probably what you know killed him but i also think that heath just not looking after himself killed him as well the joker didn't he'd finished it like six months before um <laughs> so it just annoys me and when he died and people said that i, I even at like how old was i um, even at 21, I was like, no, he had broken up with Michelle Williams. He was devastated. 
he Michelle Williams was trying to get lawyers on him to have him not see his daughter nothing against Michelle I'm kind of more on her side but you know all these things going on I really don't think the Joker had anything fucking to do with it but throughout all this and after the filming ended Michelle believed that Heath was taking drugs and so she got lawyers um, involved Heath believed that he would lose any kind of custody of Matilda who he was sharing custody with this was all going on when he'd started filming Dr Parnassus to in order to kind of I guess pass drug tests maybe if they were going to give it to him and to get his life on track Heath stopped smoking weed he stopped drinking alcohol and literally anyone who ever met him in this time said he literally only drank Diet Coke however I think to fill that in when he wasn't on obvious drugs he started taking um, prescription drugs which I believe that he was getting from Mary-Kate Olsen that little dirty gremlin she can go to fucking hell um but then again he was an adult and he would be able to get them from fucking everyone I'll tell you a bit more about why I hate all this shit later um so he moved to Manhattan Michelle was still in Brooklyn and Heath was single again but I from everything I've read he really didn't stay single for very fucking long and I think that was part of his problem he should have stayed single and got his life on track um stop trying to chase women to kind of fill a void that you have the New Yorker had a ton of information I didn't know about his last months during this time Michelle took Matilda to an ashram in India um I think when he died actually I don't think I think I put that in the wrong script um I think that was when he died now he went back to nightclubs um albeit not drinking in nightclubs he I guess he just wanted to not be alone he was romantically linked to Helena Christensen Lindsay Lohan Mary-Kate Olsen I don't think any of this was really real um and he was a regular at a semi-private club called the Beatrice Inn in the West Village now a young woman who was spoke to the New Yorker and I do believe her she spoke to the New Yorker after he died they offered to pay her she said no I'll get more into that later um but she you know met him at this inn she said quote girls were all over him trying to like play with his hat touch him in some way certain celebrities have that effect I've only seen it with a few of them and Heath Ledger is one the reaction I saw to him was crazy she said that he was wearing a red and white horizontal striped shirt which is he's actually been in in other clips jeans a hat and some tattoos she said quote he was really hot <laughs> so I think she was in her early 20s now she said that he was with this guy called Nathan I don't know who that is at this club and Nathan started going around getting girls numbers for Heath she said he introduced us to Heath he was really nice he shook our hands and said hi my name is Heath a lot of celebrities don't say their names because they expect you to know who they are he wasn't like that now Nathan gave they gave Nathan their numbers and as soon as they turned to leave the girls this girl and her friend Nathan chased after them and he said here's Heath's address to his loft that he's living in she said quote we went over and hung out playing backgammon I said something like great apartment and he said I just moved in four days ago he had a red velvet couch a really nice carpet there was some exercise stuff a Mac computer he was like I want to play this music for you but his internet wasn't up now she said during this time he was sober he was only drinking diet coke and only smoking cigarettes he told her that he had to be up early to take matilda to gymnastics she said quote someone had drugs that night and ledger's friend kept them away from him nathan said heath can't see this he was making an effort to protect him and heath was obviously in a vulnerable state he said heath can't see this stuff he's had problems he's sober now he was a really good friend actually now that i look back on everything unquote now apparently according to this girl she had a two-month kind of fling with him on and off um she said that he had kind of made advances on her and she said just because you're so-and-so doesn't mean I'm going to sleep with you unquote and he said to her no I'm just a nice guy um 
She sounds like she gets around with celebrities a lot, the way that she talks about them, like she knows them, but she's actually not named in this. She said, this is my experience of him. He was a kind of quiet unless he was comfortable. It was just after the breakup and he really seemed to just be trying to have fun, unquote. Now, she said that from September when he moved into this apartment to November, they kind of on and off were seeing each other. She said she never saw him do drugs. She said, quote, he had a party at his loft once and it was really crazy. There were drugs there, but he didn't touch them. I saw it offered to him multiple times, ecstasy, cocaine, even prescription stuff, but he never touched it. I was with him at least a dozen times and he was always sober, just cigarettes, unquote. Now, later on, a tabloid would offer her 5000 US dollars to dish on Heath um, and she declined this money. So she seemed to kind of really like him and wanted to really clear his name when people started saying shit. So it is weird because... Gemma Ward, the model, I don't know if she models much anymore, she said that Heath had been seeing her since November to when he died. There was never any evidence of that other than what she said. She said that she's from Perth and she said that their family spent Christmas with each other. Um, now, a director friend who spoke to him by telephone in January um, said that people had been worried about him. He said, quote, the thing I feel worst about is that because I was a little bit in awe and didn't want to lose him as somebody I could talk to, I didn't say what was on my mind. I think that's another thing that famous people isolate themselves is that sometimes people find it difficult to say you're killing yourself, unquote. And yeah, I, I think that happened with quite a few people. They thought that he'd tell them to fuck off, so they didn't say anything. Um, I don't know how to say his name. I think it's Jimon Hansu. He is the, I think he's that, I think he's Sudanese. He was in Blood Diamond. He was in The Four Feathers with Heath Ledger. He's on I Am Heath Ledger, and he said that he saw him in New York a couple of months before he died. He said that he looked like shit, which goes against what a lot of people were saying, but there are the final photos of him and he did look pretty worn out and emaciated almost. His face was very worn um, and drawn. He said that he wished he'd said something, but he didn't. He just, you know, same as everybody else. He had split with Michelle four months before he died. Um, he was seeing Matilda when he could and he'd finished filming The Dark Knight in various places across the world, including Chicago months ago. Um, he said to an interviewer, like, because he started opening up about how much he wasn't sleeping and stuff like that. I don't know if it was a cry for help, but he said to someone, quote, last night I probably slept an hour of, sorry, last night I probably slept an average of two hours a night. I couldn't stop thinking. My body was exhausted and my mind was still going. So also in this interview, with this interviewer, he had this kind of strange moment of openness where he told this interviewer that he took two Ambien pills recently. Ambien's a really strong sleeping pill. Um, it's also incredibly dangerous and addictive. Um, he said one didn't work, so he'd had two. And then he'd woken up um, only half an hour later. He said, quote, I woke up Sorry, he said it had left him, quote, in a stupor, only to wake up an hour later, his mind still racing, unquote. So when one didn't work, which is not a good thing, he was taking another one. Now, as I said, insomnia was a chronic part of his life. Michelle Williams told Interview Magazine after his death, quote, for as long as I'd known him, he had bouts with insomnia. He had too much energy. His mind was turning, 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 always turning, unquote. In his last month or six weeks, um, Heath had been filming the movie The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, actually probably two months. This is kind of a very kind of psychotropic, almost trippy movie directed by Terry Gilliam that I did see the end result for when it ultimately came out, once they figured out how to fill it up. 
Filming was split between London and the United States and Heath had had a long-term cold that had ultimately turned into pneumonia that the rest of the crew and cast had already got. They were in London, literally in the freezing cold at like three o'clock in the morning filming scenes where he was hanging off a bridge in the movie. Heath had a really difficult time getting over his cold, which I also can relate to. And I presume that him smoking, like me, doesn't help when you've got a cold. He also coughed a lot in interviews, um, I noticed. Now, he had visited Perth in a kind of strange... It was the last time his family saw him, really. He basically turned up there without them knowing. I think he turned up at his mum's house before Christmas. He stayed for Christmas. He just had an amazing time there. The He actually, the paparazzi, not that there's many in Perth, but they would have sent someone out to annoy him. They knew he was there and for some reason they just didn't annoy him. There's no pictures taken by paparazzi during this time. There's one picture I've got of him and his sister Olivia um, hanging out. But <laughs> basically when they left him alone, when he left, no one even knew he had been in Australia. And he said, he wrote a letter to, um, his parents said he wrote a letter to the newspapers saying, thank you for letting me just have some time with my family. I think they kind of knew that something wasn't good and to leave him alone. Now, when he turned up, he said to his sister Ashley, who I think was probably 18, um, he said that you're coming back to London with me. I'm going to London now to film Parnassus and you're coming with me. And his mum was like, oh, God. So Ashley went with him for two weeks to London and then he went back to New York to have a bit of a break. Um, this thing that he had trouble sleeping and that he had a cold is backed up by the cast, crew, family, friends and co-stars like Christopher Plummer, who he was filming The Imaginarium of Dr Parnassus with at the time. We lost Christopher Plummer about three weeks ago, actually. Um, he was Captain Von Trapp, most famous for, even though he didn't like that movie in The Sound of Music. He was a babe. Um, he was very sexy, as my mother said the other day. Um, and he was kind of a no-nonsense actor. And Christopher Plummer had got to know Heath Ledger on the set. Now they're both gone. And I hope that if there's some sort of other side, which I've been thinking about a lot with this case, um, that Heath, you know, welcomed him. Now, Christopher Plummer said that, quote, we all caught colds and because we were shooting outside on horrible damp nights, but Heath's went on and I don't think he dealt with it immediately with antibiotics. I think that he did, what he did have was walking pneumonia. On top of that, he was saying all the time, damn it, I can't sleep. And he was taking all these pills to help him, unquote. I just want to say that there's no cold where you can take antibiotics. Um, <laughs> now, the final photos of Heath taken in New York, I think just a couple of weeks before he died, he looked worn out and tired. His cheekbones are quite sharp. Compared to how I've looked the last year, he doesn't look too bad, but it was a shock for people because he was that fresh-faced Aussie that came to Hollywood, bright, with this beautiful smile in 1999, and just nine years later, um, he would be dead. So there are also a few photos of his last shots from the movie Dr Parnassus, where he's hanging out upside down off a bridge in London filming a scene. Um, now, there's actually an interview on a radio station... <sighs> I think about six weeks before he died where they're talking and they're saying do you think that dark nights you know or brokeback's going to be the top point of your life um and he says i'm only 28 i think i've got some years left and um he was dead about six weeks later now at the time of his death he was at home in new york trying to recuperate from this cold he was on a break from the movie he'd only filmed about a third of it um, he had his dialect coach, Jerry Grinnell, staying with him on and off. Jerry's really funny old British guy. He's interviewed on the documentary. He was his dialect coach. He helped him develop his dialects um, to put on accents. And he, in it, talks about how when they were filming The Dark Knight, Terry was there with him and 
sorry, Jerry. And there was that scene where they crashed the party and he saw how many like extras there were at this party. He had to do it in front of like 200 people. And he said to Jerry, I'm really scared. Like, I didn't think there'd be that many people in this fake party. And he said, how am I playing this? And Jerry said, well, you're a psychopath and these people are your toys and you play with your toys. Um, and that kind of contributed to the performance that he put on. Now, Jerry was staying with him on and off. Unfortunately, he wasn't with him the night that he died or the day that he died. He said, quote, I would hear him wandering around the apartment and I'd get up and say, come on, man, go back to bed. You've got work tomorrow. And he'd say, quote, I can't sleep, man, unquote. And he passed away. It was such a shock to us. I mean, we couldn't believe that we were talking to him the night before. And Kate was telling him not to mix um, sleeping tablets with what he was taking for his chest cold. Uh, and then eight hours later, he's not here. He was filming Parnassus. The, the last film that he participated in. And so he was traveling a bit between Canada and England and, um, and New York back to see Matilda. Had a very busy schedule. He also had a chest cold, which had become, as we know now, pneumonia. Got some medication in the UK. Um, he then saw a doctor in New York. He got medication in New York. And then a lot of these medications um, if issued up correctly, and I'm sure they were, for what Heath was feeling, um, have different names, and they might, they might also, you know, be different drugs. I don't know, but often, often have different names. So he wouldn't have really known what he was taking. But he was Heath's dad, Kim, talking about the last time he and his family spoke to Heath, I believe it was. Um, he called his mum, then his dad, then his sister. Um, I think his sister Kate was at his dad's, and was telling him not to mix stuff and I think he said, Kate, chill, like it's fine. January 22nd, 2008, according to his agent, Heath had a meeting that morning with Steven Spielberg and was a bit stressed out because he had to get some sleep. Heath's housekeeper heard him snoring in the bedroom of his Soho apartment in New York around 1 p.m. When she looked in on him, she saw he was in bed with the sheets kind of up around his neck. He was face down in his bed and snoring. At 3pm, his masseuse arrived. Um, she looked in on him. She was kind of saying, Heath, are you awake? Heath did not respond to her calls or her kind of shaking him. Instead of calling 911, the masseuse, as many people would have massive issues with, including me, um, decided to call Heath's friend, Mary-Kate Olsen, in, who was in California at the time on the other side of the country. The housekeeper, sorry, the masseuse told Mary-Kate that she believed that Heath Ledger was unconscious um, and Mary-Kate Olsen, instead of telling her to call 911, she said she would send her New York-based security guard around. After the masseuse hung up, she went back into Heath again, trying to shake him awake. She was not getting any response. The masseuse then called Mary-Kate Olsen back, taking up more time. She was telling Mary-Kate Olsen that instead of waiting for the security guard, she was calling 911 as she believed that Heath Ledger was dying. In the 911, in the 911 call at 3.26 p.m., his masseuse told authorities that Heath Ledger was not breathing. She said on the phone um, that she was going to do CPR and she was trying to perform it CPR on Heath Ledger, but he was unresponsive. 
Paramedics and emergency medical technicians arrived around seven minutes after she called 911 at 3.33pm. This was almost at the exact moment that a private security guard who Mary-Kate Olsen had sent turned up. The paramedics tried to revive Heath Ledger with a defibrillator um, to no avail. At 3.36pm, Heath Ledger, um, Aussie movie star who had made it big just nine years before, um, was pronounced dead. His body was removed from his apartment a couple of hours later in front of a million cameras watching him being removed in the black body bag. Um, It was probably the way that Heath did not want his last moments to be, um, but they didn't really care because they wanted to get their snap. He was 28 years old. There was some pill bottles on his bedside, which with the rumours would become there were scattered pill bottles all over the place, which is just not the case. There was also a rolled up $20 bill, which people said had drugs on it. Um, It did not. The afternoon that Heath's body was wheeled out in a body bag in front of thousands of cameras in the heart of New York City, um, his parents were still kind of asleep in Australia while this was all going on because it was the morning of the 23rd there, the night of the 22nd in the US. Perth is really far behind the rest of Australia, I think about three or four hours behind. Um, So when I was waking up and getting a phone call um, from my friend Simone, who said, have you seen the news? And I said, no. And she said, oh, Heath Ledger's gone. I just started wailing. (laughs) My mum thought that someone from our family had died. Um, Probably around that time, Heath Ledger's dad was getting a phone call from a friend of his. He tells the story about how the friend who was in Adelaide, which is a couple of hours ahead, called when all this was happening on the news it was already kind of broken the phone rang it was his business partner in Adelaide he said Kim are you all right Kim said yeah why he said are you all right he goes yeah why and his friend very quickly realized that they hadn't found out yet because they were really far behind in Western Australia in Perth so he pretty much told him to turn on the TV and the minute that Kim Ledger turned on the TV his phone rang and it was Heath's beloved sister Kate who was screaming, just just couldn't even understand her on the phone, screaming about Heath being gone. Michelle Williams was advised while filming a movie in Sweden um, by someone obviously on the set. I have no idea how she must have felt. Um, and I believe that his mother had heard it on the radio while she was going about her business in Perth. Hours later, Heath's mum, dad and sister Kate appeared on the lawn. I remember watching it live um, of the dad's home um, and spoke to the media from Perth, which is kind of a still a big country town, um, to the world's media um, about the loss of Heath. And I'll play that for you. But I just want to say that Heath, they were very much, they'd literally just found out a couple of hours before that he was gone and they were pretty much forced to go and talk to the media outside who were on their front lawn. And Heath's dad, when he's supposed to say selfless at one point, he says selfish, um, but obviously his mind was all over the place. So I'll play that to you now. Confirm the very tragic, untimely and accidental passing of our dearly loved son, brother and doting father of Matilda. He was found peacefully asleep in his New York apartment by his housekeeper at 3.30 US time. 3.30 p.m. US time. We would like to thank our friends and everyone around the world for their well wishes and kind thoughts at this time. Heath has touched so many people on so many different levels during his short life, but few had the pleasure of truly knowing him. He was a down-to-earth, generous, 
kind-hearted, life-loving and selfish individual who was extremely inspirational to many. Please now respect our family's need to grieve and come to terms with our loss privately. Thank you. And, um, you know, I just want to say good on his dad for saying accidental as well, because that's, he knew the deal. He knew that that's what it would be. He knew his son. He knew how much he loved his career and his daughter, and he slipped that in there. And also, I just want to say, his dad, Kim, standing next to his mum, Sally, in that, and his sister, Kate's on his mum, Sally's other side. And Kim's got his arm around his ex-wife, Sally, which... I can't even imagine, like, my dad wouldn't even do that if I died. I can guarantee you it because he hates my mum so much um, all these years on, 30 years on. And Kim also does that at the Academy Awards. And, you know, that's a maturity thing as well. They've lost their son together and, they're you know, they're going to be united because Kate's lost her brother as well. Um, yeah. So um, after this, Mary-Kate Olsen, who I really don't want to talk about on this, but I have to she was obviously questioned why was she called before the 911 which i have think i have the answer to she refused to speak to the dea the drug enforcement agency about the drugs and any links to her why they would call her um and she was basically said that she wouldn't talk unless she was granted immunity for whatever happened or whatever they found out i'll tell you what probably happened heath was probably getting drugs off her because she's worth about you know three billion dollars she's probably got her own fucking pharmacy of drugs whether she needs oxycontin or not because fucking no one does unless you've got cancer um and you're in the last stages of it that's what it's there for um heath probably said i reckon to his housekeeper or his masseuse or anyone who came into his home if anything happens call mary kate olsen first um and i think that's probably what happened now she released a short statement saying quote heath was a friend his death is a tragic loss my thoughts are with his family which couldn't get any colder tributes came in from pretty much everyone um it was amazing how many people you know you wouldn't think would know who he was actually did that brings us to about 10 days after his death on february 6th his autopsy and toxicology results took ages to come in and until then, people were just talking about it nonstop. I think in the three weeks after he died, there was 25,000 articles about him online, according to Google. So on February 6th, just three days before his body would be cremated and returned to Australia, um, basically the end of his story came from the New York Chiefs Medical Examiner. His results were as follows, quote, Mr. Heath Ledger died as a result of acute intoxication by combined effects of oxycodone, hydrocodone, diazepam, temazepam, alprazolam and doxylamine. Um, we have concluded that the manner of death is accidental resulting from the abuse of prescription medications. I just want to say that oxycodone and hydrocodone he never should have had but the other ones were like antihistamines which are you know for hay fever which I take. Um, diazepam and temazepam are two sleeping pills and they say that none of them on their own were an overdose, but together they created an overdose. Um, he never should have been mixing all of those different things. Ultimately, it probably just put his body to sleep. And I hope that's what happened and that he didn't know what, what was happening. Um, but they say that if hydrocodone and oxycodone weren't in the mix, he probably would have lived. Most of the drugs in Heath's system are rarely kind of prescribed in the US. They're usually stolen. A lot of them are like, a, they say it's a nurse's epidemic because a lot of nurses and doctors steal them. And that's why they do a lot of audits at work. 
They did do a later investigation into the doctors who prescribed him the other things. Um, they were not the ones that killed him and they never found the ones, um, the doctors or whoever gave him the prescriptions who killed him, the oxycodone and hydrocodone. I can tell you who did. Um, James, I don't know what his last name is. He was a forensic pathologist. He was the one that basically said that if hydrocodone and oxycodone had been left out of the combination, he probably would have survived um he was really just mixing drugs and the combination with a chest infection um really didn't help because he was probably drowning in his own kind of chest infection issues and phlegm at that time so it really just put him to sleep even if he didn't have a chest infection he may not have died it was just a tragic combination when this came out um the results his parents released a statement saying quote ledger's parents um, sorry, today's results put an end to speculation. While no medications were taken in excess, we learned today the combination of doctor-prescribed drugs proved, proved lethal for our boy, unquote. So after that, um, the US Attorney General's office had a open kind of investigation into Heath's death about the drugs and everything else, but they ultimately closed it and they rented Moot, the subpoena of Olsen that they had because the bitch is fully protected. Um, and I hope she does have it on her conscience, but at the same time, Heath probably asked her for them. He was a grown adult. His father, Kim, has said that he often gets annoyed thinking of Heath taking them because it was so avoidable. He said, quote, it was totally his fault. It was no one else's. He reached for them. He put them in his system. You can't blame anyone in that situation. That's hard to accept because I loved him so much and was so proud of him. His sister was on the phone to him the night before telling him not to take the prescription medications with the sleeping tablets. He said, Katie, Katie, I'm fine. I know what I'm doing. He would have had no idea. Um, so... Just the day after his death, the UK Sun newspaper, which is like a trashy rag that doesn't give a shit if someone's died, they'll always like want the juicy shit. They published a really horrible story quoting a woman called Rebecca White. Sorry, she was a 33-year-old former assistant of Naomi Campbell, who Heath actually knew and was friends with in a weird kind of turn of events. She claimed that she had seen Ledger doing drugs, so they paid this bitch to go on about him the day after he died. So wherever she is... And if there's a hell, I hope she burns in it. She said, quote, the first time I met him at Puff Daddy's house in L.A., Heath asked Naomi for cocaine. At another party in Paris, Heath took at least six, six ecstasy pills, popped them in his mouth all at once and swigged them with a bottle of champagne. She then went on to say something just truly horrible the day after he died. Quote, Heath was an Adonis and she was dowdy and not in his league career-wise or looks-wise. And no one could understand why they got together. That is about the mother of his children, Michelle, who's fucking no way dowdy. She's super cool and awesome. She then offered up some more info, but she said that would cost them $1,500. Sad, sorry, fortunately, they did decline to pay her for any more of the bullshit that was spewing from her mouth. Much of the press in the following weeks after his death, it just went on forever, if you remember it. They focused on all his issues, and as the New Yorker said, quote, by the last week in January, it seemed that there had been two Heath Ledgers living in New York. One, a chaste, sober, unkempt choir boy who bought his daughter organic breakfast sausages at the gourmet garage. The other, a womanizing, drug-hoovering rake, last seen by, yes, a club-goer, dancing at the Beatrice Inn in a ski mask with holes cut out at the eyes and mouth and a hood over his eyes. 
And that is actually true. He did actually turn up there with like a fucking balaclava over his face. This story, you know, these different stories of who he was, you know, spread across the world. And thankfully, a lot of journalists were told, just write the good version. Stop with this shit. Daniel Day-Lewis spoke out about how nasty they all were afterwards. He really went into bat for him and he didn't even know him. But he said he was his favorite actor, as did like John Travolta. So many people came out and said he was their favorite actor. Michelle Williams told Vanity Fair about the year that he died sorry the year before he died in a strange way I missed that year because of all the possibilities that exist then are gone it didn't seem unlikely to me that he could walk through the door or could appear behind a bush it was a year of very magical thinking and in some ways I'm sad to be moving further and further away from it I found meanings around the circumstance of his death but the actual event itself itself still doesn't I can't find a meaning for it, unquote. And anyone who's lost anyone knows what she means. You honestly expect to hear their voice again. It's one of the things that you miss the most when someone dies, their voice. Um, but with Heath, at least we have his voice recorded. Um, yeah, and the further on you get from it, the more unlikely it is that they're going to come back into your life in a weird kind of way. Now, Heath's body was ultimately returned um, to Australia after private memorials in LA I was just going to say before about Michelle I feel for her because she probably the last conversation she had with him wasn't good she was probably threatening him in some way with lawyers to get him to sober up she was probably attempting tough love which is sometimes the only way it works but she probably you know loved him so much underneath all of it and she never got to say goodbye and he probably died thinking she really hated him Matilda never got to see her dad that last time and you know give him a last hug so Heath's body was returned to Australia um, after private memorials in LA and on the 9th of February a memorial service was attended a private one for several hundred invited guests um, at a college in Perth afterwards Heath's body was cremated at Fremantle Cemetery just outside of Perth and this was followed by a private service attended by only about 10 family members. His ashes were then interred um, in a family plot at Karakata Cemetery in Perth, which overlooks the ocean. It's really beautiful. It's a very peaceful cemetery. Um, he's interred with his grandparents' ashes there, who I believe were alive when he did Brokeback Mountain because they actually like, no, sorry, they were alive when he did some of them were alive when he did Joker because they watched live from Perth the Oscars. Um, the other grandparents he's interred with, initially they had like a private um, place where it was interred so people, you know, wouldn't come and visit it and fuck it up. But I think now they have just like an actual headstone where it is and people have gone there and paid his respects, their respects to him. So if you're in Perth, go and do that. One day I might end up in Perth and might go there. Later that night, um, all of the family and friends, including Michelle Williams, who had flown over to Perth, they all gathered for a wake on Cottesloe Beach. Um, you can watch like footage of this. They were all running into the water and splashing each other and Michelle was laughing. It's a very Australian thing that I don't think you find, you know, in a lot of other places. Now, Heath never had an updated will. Before he met Michelle, he'd done a will and then he just never updated it. So it actually was legal issues um, in regards to what was left of his money, which was about 16 million. And after all of the money that he made from for Joker in Dark Knight, I think it came to about 21 million. Now there was all this bullshit talked about how the family was fighting Michelle Williams. It's all bullshit. Instantly, his dad said that Matilda would be left all of his money. And that was pretty much the end of that. Um, the law states in Western Australia 
that that's what happens even if it hasn't been updated that the next of kin gets it and that's what happened michelle um will obviously give this to matilda when she's 18 as well as heath's oscar Heath Ledger won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar in 2009 for his role as the Joker. He was the first comic book character. A lot of people say he was just nominated because he died. A lot of people said before he died that he would be nominated. Either way, since then, Joaquin Phoenix has won the Oscar for the same, so I don't think it was just Heath, and I do think he deserved it. Um, His mum, dad, and sister accepted it, which is a long way from Perth to go to Hollywood and accept it. Um, All the celebrities were really upset in the audience. You know, um, Angelina Jolie was crying, which I didn't think she was capable of. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman was nominated and he was listening very intently. He would die from drugs about five years later. Um, Chris Nolan was there. He looked like he was about to cry. It was only the second posthumous Oscar nominated, sorry, awarded in Oscar history behind Peter Finch, I believe. I'm going to play you the clip of Heath's family accepting the Oscar. And the Oscar goes to Heath Ledger in the background. First of all, I have to say this is ever so humbling, just uh, being amongst uh, such wonderful people in such a wonderful industry. Firstly, um, we'd like to thank the Academy for recognising our son's amazing work. Warner Brothers and um, Christopher Nolan in particular for allowing Heath the creative licence to develop and explore this crazy Joker character. To Steve Alexander, Heath's mentor, special friend and agent for 10 years. We love you, Steve. This award tonight would have humbly validated Heath's quiet determination to be truly accepted by you all here, his peers, within an industry he so loved. Thank you. Heath was such a compassionate and generous soul who added so much excitement and inspiration to our lives. We have been truly overwhelmed by the honour and respect being bestowed upon him with this award. Tonight we are choosing to celebrate and be happy for what he has achieved. Heath, we both knew what you had created in The Joker was extraordinarily special and had even talked about being here on this very day. We really wish you were, but we proudly accept this award on behalf of your beautiful Matilda. Thank you. you. 
Because Heath was filming Terry Gilliam's film, The Imaginarium of Dr Parnassus, um, when he died and he'd only filmed a third, Terry Gilliam, you know, obviously had to battle with losing a lot of money as the days went on. And I remember this. I, they were talking about shelving the movie and then, you know, they were like, no, we're going to make it. But what they did, which actually made sense in the movie because I have seen it and I did like it, they had um, three other actors play Heath's character in different realms so it's him with you know a different face and it actually did make sense they they initially temporarily suspended production um but he really wanted to salvage what was there and include heath in it um he dedicated the film to heath ledger um johnny depp jude law and colin farrell all signed on to take over the role and do you know the other three quarters each um becoming different carnations of Heath's character Tony that he was meant to play all of them the three actors didn't get paid anything because they gave their money that they were being paid for the film to Heath Ledger's daughter Matilda's fund um, which is really nice Terry Gilliam along with anyone with half a brain said that the theories about the Joker making him crazy was just bullshit he said it's absolute nonsense Heath was so solid his feet were on the ground and he was the least neurotic person I've ever met unquote in January 2011, the State Theatre of Western Australia in Perth um, named a 575-seat theatre, the Heath Ledger Theatre, after him. Um, it, for the opening of it, they had his Oscar on display as well as his car- Joker costume that he wore in the movie. There is also a scholarship, um, the Heath Ledger Scholarship, for the Australian Institute of Film, which goes towards basically an up-and-coming Australian actor who wants to make an international career, um, and it basically supports them in that, and they've been giving that every year to, I think, two different people. Yoko. His dad, um, Kim, went on to do a lot of work with a... Um, group in Australia called Turn to Help, which is a group that helps support, you know, victims of prescription drug use and things like that. Um, He's online, he's he's spoken quite a lot about it and how it can literally happen to anyone. Um, And the reason that I know that is because when I was in year 12, finishing high school, I had moved up to my mum's the year before. Um, She was living in the country and it was a whole new area, a couple of hours outside of Melbourne that I lived in for 18 months. My best friend up there, Shelley, who was um, going through school with me, um, she died of an Oxycontin, which is similar to Oxycodone overdose, when I was about three months away from finishing year 12 with her. Um, She was 19 years old and she'd been out of school for a bit and come back like I had for about a year. And um, I was at school the next day. I was always hanging out with her. The last conversation we had was a fight where she'd uh, somebody came around with cats in a box at our school and um Shelly just took one and I said to her how can you look after a cat you can't look after yourself um and she died before I spoke to her um and I was waiting for her at school the next week and um and my teacher my coordinator of our year level came out and she said oh Felicity go to uh, come over here and talk to me and I said, I'm waiting for Shelly. Like, she was probably late. Um, we've, you know, we weren't starting class yet. Um, and she said, um, Shelly's dead. <laughs> That's what she said. Um, and then I said, what? And she said, Shelly's was found dead um, last night by her mum. And, um, yeah, her mum had found her dead in front of her fridge. She'd had a massive heart attack from OxyContin, which she was taking all the time. I knew her anyway. I never really had to talk to her about it. 
no one could have really talked to her about it at all. She was just doctor shopping and going around to different doctors and getting, telling them stories to get these drugs, telling them that she had a sore back, that she had saw this, she had a sore this, and they'd give her all these different drugs. Um, and her heart had had enough when she was 19. So I know that people, you know, um, you know, don't know what they're doing and she wouldn't have known what she was doing she'd actually bought like this <laughs> this purple leather jacket the week before she died and she was paying it off we call it lay buying here before after pay and all that and <laughs> the first thing I said when they said she was dead was she's got to pick up her jacket you know you make these weird things that you say um when you know your brain's going out of control and you you can't control it and then I they made me go home from school and I went to my mom, she was playing tennis and I literally walked on the court in the middle of her playing tennis, crying. She was like, what? Um, so yeah. Matilda Ledger is turning 16 this year. She's 15 now. Um, and it's hard to believe because I remember when, you know, he wasn't even with Michelle. Um, she was just over two when her dad died. So I very much doubt she has any form, you know, firm memories of him, but in a way she has what, a many, what many people don't have, which is, you know, a plethora of movies to watch with her dad in them and a lot of interviews as well. She also has a movie that her parents got together on, which is amazing. Michelle dedicated pretty much over a decade of her life to Matilda without really dating or anything. She's been an amazing mum and they're really best friends. She recently married and had a baby. So Matilda has a little sister or brother now. I can't remember which I think it's a girl Matilda had a close has a close relationship with Heath's parents um, and Michelle has always made sure to keep her in touch with his family to keep her connected to her Aussie roots and to answer any questions that she has about her dad Heath just really had a sharp rise to fame um, it was barely nine years from the time he landed for the first time in LA to the time that he died as a superstar and it's probably best said, as Chris Nolan put it, that, quote, a huge hole was torn in the history of cinema when we lost Heath, unquote. So I didn't know how to finish this up. So I'm just going to play you a clip of a young 22-year-old Heath Ledger, you know, talking about his future in acting on 60 Minutes Australia. You checked out your websites. Heath Ledger is hot. Heath Ledger, estrogen brigade. I don't, I don't know what to think about that. It's, it's embarrassing, you know. It is. You get, I get embarrassed. Well, how do you explain this effect you have on women? I don't know. Um, it's just happening. and It's something that you can either be super aware of and indulge in or just live your own life and forget about it. You get a real sense watching your... Um movie you see you're having a great adventure you know a boy's own adventure yeah is that how you describe it uh yeah it definitely in a nice tale that's 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 how uh yeah it was it was an adventure it was a playground it was a big playground and it was lots of fun and continuing to have fun is really what drives heath ledger in true aussie fashion this homegrown hunk doesn't take himself or his success too seriously I'm not even giving my agents my phone number. I've got all these faxes slipped under my door saying, call me, call me. I'm fun not calling him now. And uh, So is this about playing hard to get or is this about having no, time off? Well, yeah, it is with my agents. I like playing games like that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it is. It's purely about just having time off. I, I have so much fun making movies and I really love what I do, but ultimately you, you work to live and I just got to give back the equivalent and just live a little, that's all.